Let us pray together. Our Father, we come this morning and we do indeed thank you for the peace which is ours in Christ. We have come here to worship and to honor you. Father, we admit that we come with many needs, and so we ask that you would come and meet us and minister to us by your Spirit, we pray. In the name of our Lord, amen. A few nights ago, I decided to finally exercise. And as I was getting ready, I received a phone call from one of you. For you see, a number of you were just going about life when all of a sudden the pain of real life slapped you in the face. The pain so real in this world walked onto our campus here And because of your caring hearts, a number of you were involved with a young runaway right here on this campus. You heard a story that would break your hearts. When I got called, I contacted a couple of you who are in law enforcement to get your advice. And then I came and I met a very nice and courteous 17-year-old runaway. As Jim Johnston and I took him to a runaway center, I asked him to tell us his story. It was a story that broke my heart, and it would break the heart of the toughest one here if I were to share it in its fullness this morning. If you heard him tell about his mother and his father, it would break your heart. He told us about his day, and I said something stupid like, boy, it sounds like you've had a really tough day. And he said, no, it's it's really been a tough life. And it had. That day, a respected senior family figure in his life had said to him some powerful words that had set him on his path to leave home. This young boy heard the words, I wish you were never born into this bloodline. Proverbs tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Friends, we live by it and we die without it, slowly, sadly, angrily. It is needed by you whether you're one year old or 90 years old. It's needed by you whether you're a child or a parent, a single, a married. The employee needs it, the boss needs it, the neighbor needs it. The friend needs it. The brother and sister need it. Every person here looks for it every day in many places. And yet the sad truth is, many times we do not find it. It gives life. It spurs one on to keep going when the times are tough. It was Celeste Holmes, the actress, who said, We live by it and we die without it slowly sadly, angrily. What is it? Well, Robert and Reggie have already told you, it is encouragement. We live by encouragement and we die without it, slowly, sadly, angrily. A friend told me this week how you can tell if a person needs encouragement. And I bit and said, well, how's that? And he said, if the person's breathing, And how true that is. When was the last time you received encouragement? When was the last time you gave 
encouragement. Let us read God's Word to see what He has to say about encouragement. It's from a passage in Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 19. Hear God's Word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful." And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here, we're exhorted to gather together as the people of God. We certainly do that to worship and honor our great God. But look at what the writer of the Hebrews says in verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, but encouraging one another. Encouragement is identified as a major reason for our coming together as followers of Christ. The early believers gathered for encouragement. This letter is written to the Hebrews, to the Jews of the first century, not just to any and to all Jews, but to those who were followers of the Messiah, followers of Christ, those who were bruised by adversity. Persecution was everywhere for these early Christian Jews. They were being killed like flies in the Colosseum. In the streets of Rome, Christians were set on fire as living torches. Life indeed was hard. This letter to the Hebrews is also written to God's people today. And there are many pockets around our world of great, great persecution, with many giving their lives for their faith, even in our time. Now, in the West, usually our adversities are different. But this letter is also written to us. People are hurting The pressures of life today in our advanced, sophisticated, high-tech, low-touch, quick-answer society are never-ending. As you and I look around us in our daily lives, what is it that we see? I see lots of discouragement. I see it in our homes and in our churches. I see it in our work and in our friends. Let me ask you this. How do you tend to motivate others? So many of us, especially the fix-it type guys, we tend to use criticizing and put-downs rather than positive encouragement. Now, we know it doesn't work, and we don't plan to do it. It just comes out because we haven't trained ourselves otherwise. I heard a story about a public auction that the devil once had. And as the prospective buyers came and they gathered together, they noticed all of the assortment of tools that the devil was selling. There were the tools of worry and fear and lust and greed and selfishness. And they were carefully inspected before the sale. 
But off to one side, all alone, was one very well-worn tool that said, Not for sale. Asked to explain why. The devil replied, I can spare all my other tools, but I cannot spare this one. It is the most useful implement that I own. With it, I can work my way deep into hearts otherwise inaccessible. After I've plowed deeply with this tool, the way is open to plant anything there I desire. It's the most effective tool I have. It is the tool of discouragement. Some here come here today discouraged. It may be because of a fractured relationship, or it may be an uncertain future. It may be a health or financial concern. Friends, if you know someone who's discouraged, do something. Enter another's world. Yes, I know we're going to be uncertain of what to say or what to do. And we will have to practice dependence upon our Lord as we enter the worlds of others. But we are so needed in the lives of each other. In Hebrews 10, the writer describes to these hurting people what they and we have and what they and we are to do. In verses 19 through 21, we see what we have. First, we have confidence to approach God in verse 19, to enter the holy place where only the high priest could go before. How do we have such confidence? We have such confidence by the blood of Jesus. Christ has gone before us, opening the way through the veil with His broken body. Jeff tells us week after week about Jesus. He takes us to Jesus, and sometimes I think we miss it. Because we're looking for some other more complicated key to life. But there is no other key than the key of the blood of the Savior. In verse 21, because we do have this high priest and because we do have access to God, we ask, well, what are we to do? At least three things are expected. Verse 22, let us draw near to the presence of God. We are to draw near. And just as the child is not forbidden access to the parent, so we are not forbidden access to our Heavenly Father. To the contrary, the way is open wider than ever. We are not supposed to tiptoe by the throne room of God or to walk on eggshells in His presence. We are invited to come boldly, yes, humbly, even as children to God, crossing over the crimson carpet that Christ Himself has laid down for us. And after drawing near, we're told in verse 23 that we're to hold fast the confession of our hope. The writer's encouraging those who are wavering just as we do. Those struggling are encouraged to hold tightly to the truth. And Jesus is the truth. Further, in verse 24, we are to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're to encourage each other 
to love God and to live by, for Him by encouraging each other to love others in both word and deed. We're to come together to be encouraged. And even as we came this morning, Robert has encouraged us in word and deed to minister in our own community. We are encouraged to draw near to God. We are encouraged to hold tightly to the truth, to stimulate each other to be and do what God has called us to. For the glory and the kingdom of God, we are to challenge and encourage each other to love and good deeds within our walls here and within our city and within our world so that others can also approach God, so that others can hold tightly to the truth and even stimulate others after them to love and good deeds. Do we regularly draw near to the presence of God? Do we hold fast the confession of truth? Do we stimulate others to love and good deeds? One way we do these things is found in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, but encouraging one another. A few points here. First, don't forsake coming together with the body of Christ. Jeff just preached on this a couple weeks ago. I know some of you didn't want to come this morning. And yet you're here, and in God's strange way of working, as we come, He encourages us. We need others to be around us, to encourage us, and we do that as we gather together. Secondly, encouragement is the responsibility of each and every family member in the family of God, not just for a few. When you come on Sunday mornings and as you gather in small groups, come to give, not to get. And then in our day and in our church, encouragement is needed more than ever. And as followers of Christ, we are to turn on the encouragement. Among us as God's people is no place for sarcasm and put-downs and criticism and harsh judgment. We get that all day long, all week long, just living in the world in which we do. This is to be a place to come together for the purpose of being encouraged and loved and accepted and to be challenged to live for God and for His glory. Paul writes in Romans 15, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us a spirit of unity among ourselves as we follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord. The word encouragement has great significance. The word in Hebrews 10.25 here is the same word as the word for a Holy Spirit found a couple times in the Gospel of John. Parakaleo, to walk alongside of. Now, Christ came and He walked alongside of men and women and boys and girls. And then Christ sends His paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to come and walk alongside of others and encourage them. God the Father has invited us into His throne room. And now we are called to come alongside of others who are in need and to encourage, to encourage to put 
courage into them. Jim and I sought on Tuesday night to put courage into the life of this young runaway. His story being recounted to us showed that he was certainly discouraged and he was beaten down. And at one point I said, you know, I cannot relate to so much of what you're saying, but I do know that I never knew my father. And that was really hard. And then he said... I wish I had never known my father. Jim and I spoke to him of a heavenly father who would never leave nor forsake. We prayed with him and for him. We told him of Christ who has come to earth and of a spirit who walks alongside of us. God uses us when least expected to be dispensers of courage as we're willing to walk alongside of others. How are you doing in this? You know, it's so easy to give discouragement instead of encouragement. It's so easy to tear down rather than build up. It's so easy to be critical rather than gracious. God is so good in His Word to give us examples of encouragement. And perhaps one of the greatest examples of encouragement found in Scripture is found in the Old Testament relationship of David and Jonathan. Theirs was a relationship that perhaps we dream of, a relationship, a best faithful friend relationship. Now, some of you know that Rita and I have twin boys, 19 years of age now, and because of this story, um, we named them David and Jonathan. Um, Now David and Jonathan have graduated and they've split up. And they're having to figure out how to be friends apart from each other as we all do. The story of David, though, is a great story. It goes like this. As a teenage shepherd, he goes out when all the king's men are afraid. And David kills the giant Goliath, the arch enemy of the people. David goes from an unknown shepherd boy to the giant killer. He joins the king's staff and he has great success in battle. In fact, such great success that the people, especially the women, compose a song. And it goes like this, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Everybody in the kingdom was singing the song and praising David. Everybody except for one. King Saul. And King Saul was jealous and threatened and suspicious. And finally, he even tries to kill David with his own spear. And David is forced to flee for his own life and live as a fugitive for a dozen years. At the same time that all of this is happening with Saul and David, another story is also playing out. And it's the story of Jonathan, the son of King Saul. He had become best friends with David. And 1 Samuel 18.3 says that Jonathan made a covenant with David and he loved him as himself. But you recall, David has had to flee. He's in the wilderness. He's hunted. He's stressed. He's confused. He's disillusioned. He's at the point of breaking. David is aware in 1 Samuel 23 that King David had come out to seek his life, or King Saul had come out to seek his life. Can you imagine the pressures of each sunrise and sunset? Can you imagine another day of running 
and watching, escaping, a day of hiding, not sleeping. Years ago when we lived in Mexico, I awoke one night to find our bedroom door open and we slept with it closed. Now, when I wake up um, from a dead sleep, my family tells me I'm a little bit crazy. But I jumped up, I say, if the door's open, it's because somebody's opened it. I didn't open it. Rita's asleep. Baby Joseph's over there in the crib. I know that none of us did that. Well, I checked the dresser, and my wallet and Rita's purse were gone. I grabbed my weapon of choice. I have a crescent wrench about this long, and that's my weapon. And I went out into the living room. And there I found in the dining room on our table my wallet and Rita's purse. I felt like one of the three bears. That thief had come in, got our things off of our dresser, went out and sat down at our dining room table and he went through stuff and took what he wanted. Now, within the next couple days, I put all kinds of alarms and locks on our bedroom door. I put bars on the windows. But a few nights later, he came back. A door handle alarm on our bedroom door went off. And it's sort of like a car alarm. Well, Rita says, Joe, he's back. And I was trying to convince her and myself that it really wasn't anybody. And so I said, you know, those little lizards that run around our house, maybe it was just a lizard running across the door. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. I mean, I didn't want to go out there. So I waited about an hour giving the lizard time to escape (laughs) if it needed to. And then I took my faithful wrench and I went out to check. And sure enough, we'd been broken into again. And you know, for the rest of our years in Mexico, I did not sleep as well as I had slept before. And this guy was just after our stuff. He wasn't after our lives. David was running for his life every day. Some of you know the name Matthew Henry, a famous Bible commentator. After being robbed, this was his response in prayer. He said, Lord, I thank you that I've never been robbed before, that although they took my money, they spared my life, that although they took everything, it wasn't very much, that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Can you imagine the night sounds and the silence that David experienced in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh? If that doesn't sound like the boondocks, I don't know what does. And that's where David was. And he was stressed to the limit. He was being pursued by the king's men. That is, all the men except for one. And that was the king's son, Jonathan. And this part of the story is so good. In the midst of the fears, in the midst of the pursuit, David is found in the boondocks by his best friend, Jonathan. 1 Samuel 23, 16, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh, and Jonathan encouraged him in God. Jonathan encouraged David in God. This courage transfusion that took place was not from Jonathan to David. It was from God to David 
with Jonathan being used as the instrument of God to bring and deliver it. Jonathan encouraged David in God. Jonathan did not wait to be invited by David. Jonathan knew the need and he went to meet that need. In our lives and in our world right now, who needs encouragement? Let me encourage you to be willing to encourage those in need. Let it start in your own family. Put all the excuses aside that we could put. Back to David. The truth is that David did not always have Jonathan around when he needed encouragement. And likewise, we're not always going to have others around to encourage us. A few chapters later on in 1 Samuel, we see that David's plight had only become worse. He was exhausted from battle. His home had been overrun by the enemy. His family was kidnapped. His little army of men was contemplating rioting and overthrowing David. And so what did David do? This morning, if you're encouraged, and there seems to be no one else there to give you encouragement, perhaps this is the most important thing that you will hear. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We will never get all of our encouragement needs met through other people. And we don't have to, for you see, God is there to strengthen us, to meet us in our need, to encourage us. There are those here today who feel in the depths of your being all alone. There are others around you perhaps, but as you go about your daily routines... You're dying on the inside and you feel totally alone. No one has seemed to notice. No one has reached out. You've not found a confidant and a shelter. This morning I would invite you to share David's shelter. I invite you to share the one that David calls in the Psalms, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my stronghold. Friends in need, I encourage you to do what David did, to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. David's shelter, his refuge, it never failed and it never will. For we're told in Hebrews 10 verse 23, For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. You strengthen yourself in the Lord, as you meditate upon His Word, as you see the truth and hear the powerful words He has written to you. If you've trusted Christ, you have been given the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. He walks alongside of you and His name is Encourager, your personal Encourager. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He walks alongside of us. He puts His arms around us and He becomes our encourager. The Holy Spirit takes the words of Scripture and gives us hope. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of Scriptures we might have hope. God in His grace has given us each other as a bonus to be encouragers. Be encouraged 
and be an encourager. You have what others need. Be willing to give it. We live by encouragement and we die without it. Words have the power of death and of life. I am so sorry that you were ever born into this bloodline. Some of us have heard words just as hurtful as that. Friends, what a difference we experience in Christ. He is our brother, God himself, and he has called us out to be part of his bloodline. And he has spilled his very blood to accomplish that. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians 1.20 that Jesus has made peace through his blood shed on the cross. As followers of Christ, you and I are members of a royal bloodline. By the grace of God and through the spilling of the blood of the Lamb, we have been reborn into the bloodline of the King. Praise the King. We've just sung it. Be encouraged and be encouragers for the glory of God. Hold your heads high and ponder your bloodline. Never forget it. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Ponder your bloodline. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you today for your faithfulness, for your word that gives us hope, for your spirit who encourages us, for Christ who loves us. Thank you for others who are willing to be your instruments in our lives, bringing words of hope. May we walk this week, O Father, empowered by your Spirit to be encouragers to each other for your glory. We pray in the matchless name of Christ. Amen.